Welcome to the I Create Daily Podcast. I'm Leora Alderson. And I'm Devani Alderson. We're your co-hosts on this journey of creativity and productivity. I Create Daily is for artists in every genre of creating, from musicians to writers, crafters to inventors, bloggers to entrepreneurs. I Create Daily is a movement for creators serious about your art. If you're into creating anything, this podcast is definitely for you. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey. Hi, this is Leora Alderson. And I'm Devani Alderson. Here with I Create Daily Podcast, a podcast for creators. And our guest today is Joanna White, a fabric artist and instructor living in Asheville, North Carolina. Welcome, Joanna. Thank you for having me, Leora. This sounds like a great idea. <laughs> Thank you. We've had, yeah, we've had wonderful response from, from that so far, and it's a blend of our passion and purpose project. So while it was not the best time to start it with everything else we have going on, uh, we were compelled to do so, seeing the need out there in the artistic community um, to figure out ways how to make their art their livelihood, essentially help artists and creatives and authors do that, which is something you're doing, which is what we're gonna get into a little bit more over the interview. Um, so. Could we begin by you sharing more about what you do, what your artistry is, uh, and what you're doing with that? Okay. Well, basically, I grew up in a, uh, a family where the women were very, they were makers. My grandmother had her own millinery shop in Amsterdam and before she came to this country. And then when she got here, she made her living from, for sewing for other people. I was taught to sew by my mom and my aunt and always interested in fiber and i can remember sitting in front of now this will date me but you know i'm older i was sitting in front of the um the man's first walk on the moon in 1968 in the summer of 1968 creating a tapestry a woven tapestry um, a needle and thread kind of thing so it's always been in my gene pool fabric and so when i finally was approaching that dread year of 60 although it was not a dread year for me I decided that if I didn't ever start, I would never start. And so I'm a late bloomer. I'm self-taught. I primarily use dyes on silk. I don't dye. I paint with a brush. So it's a single brush and everything is painted by hand. So it's not quick and dirty. It's one of a kind. So what to do, how to start. I was taking a watercolor class and having such a frustrating time because it was on paper. And I mm -hmm. thought, why in the world did I sign up for this. I'm a fiber person. So surely there must be something about painting on fiber. So I went online to YouTube and I learned to paint silk on YouTube. Wow. Amazing. Well, you know, it was the beginning and what it did is it, it opened doors for me to find other people. And in North Carolina at that time, there were not that many people painting on silk. I could not mm. find a local teacher. So I found a woman in the United Kingdom who offered way before her time an online course in silk painting. And she's very successful. Her name is Jill Kennedy. So she was really my first teacher. And I started just following along and doing. And the more uh, silk painting is truly very addictive. Mm. Once you see how the dyes, when you drop them on plain white silk and they move, it's like flying through the air. I don't wow. know if you've in an airplane or in an airplane, you know how, how the textures move and you just feel like you're just flying. Well, that's the way color on silk works it's that, like you would love that I yeah think. oh my goodness it yeah. sounds so much fun yeah. uh, i've i've 
dabbled a tiny bit in watercolor on paper and it's very difficult but um mm -hmm. man that just sounds and you so love cool. texture and so touching yeah. and feeling mm -hmm. so that sounds fantastic and, yeah. and by the way just cut that so you said when you were around when you were 60 so that was uh -huh. 11 years ago which people are not going to believe because you don't even look over uh you don't even look 60 yet. That was, no, seriously, but that was 11 years ago, which there That's wasn't cool. even that much on YouTube at that mm -hmm. time as well. Yeah. That's so. correct. Now, now there is a, a man out in California who does nothing but put online classes up for makers and lots of fiber artists have online courses now. Amazing. So that set me off. I started painting, and of course, when you paint, you start stacking up scarves, and there are only so many scarves you can have, and only so many friends will take your scarves. So you have to find <laughs> an outlet. So I began to investigate what does it take to have to do outdoor shows. Mm. So I had a strong at the time. My husband was living, and he was a strong supporter. So we went and visited art shows. And he would interview artists on what was the best tent and why did they select the tent they had. And I would walk around wearing my scarves, trying to figure out if I had what it takes to be able to do that. And someone came into my life at the Art in the Park in Blowing Rock. And she said, if this is your art, pointing to my scarf, then yes, of course you have the skill to be. And so she encouraged me and I applied and I got in. And then she also was part of a gallery in Blowing Rock. And so I applied there and got in there. So that was the beginning. At outdoor shows. And I was doing maybe the first year four or five. At the height of my outdoor experience, I was doing 11, which was way too much because I had the equivalent of a full-time job in addition. Wow. So um, I think the hard piece of all of this is that it's very, very difficult to make a living from your art. Right. Mm. So don't quit your day job. Yes. Because your day job, like uh, Elizabeth Gilbert, I, Gilbert, I love her book. Yeah. Um, yeah. Big, Big Magic. Big, Big Magic. That's it. And she talks about how she waited tables. She did all this stuff. She wrote every day. She never quit her day job, even after she had two successful books. Mm -hmm. she yeah. Wow. So. Um, you can make a living doing your art, but it doesn't happen overnight. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, when you think about it, and so this is the thing that I think that um, many artists and authors, creatives in general, um, somebody mentioned, in fact, when we interviewed Corey Huff mm -hmm. the other day, he mentioned this, and this was such a good point, and that is that, uh, it, you know, basically it, it, is, it is a business. You know, and businesses are not built overnight either. You know, mm -hmm. no business starts up and then is immediately successful. It right. often takes years. And as we know, you know, many of the ones that get started, you know, I think it's about one third are no longer around in five years and like maybe 50% in 10 years. Um, and it's the same probably with artists, but even more so because there's the frustration of realizing that you are your own business mm -hmm. and that isn't the strength of many an entrepreneur, I mean, artists rather. So the, the artists, creatives who can balance and blend a little bit of that world as you have done and are doing and started out with the help of Thomas, um, mm -hmm. are those who end up making it and the other ones who end up making it are those who continue creating daily, mm -hmm. who keep on going in the direction of their dreams um, and because like anything that we build and create, it does require consistent, persistent effort. Yeah. And one thing you mentioned, uh, before we got on the podcast, you sent us an email this morning saying you had just gotten into an art guild. 
congratulations mm-hmm. on that. Um, we wanted to sort of ask you and to share with other artists what the benefit of joining an art guild is for them and also um, sort of the process of doing that and when they should start looking toward getting applying to be a part of a guild. Right. Well, um, I think what art guilds give people as well as juried art shows, uh, it gives you credibility in the artistic community. It says that, you know, your work is good enough because each juried situation you are in is a learning, obviously Mm -hmm. learning situation. And so, um, you know, I think it isn't overnight. You can anticipate applying to guilds three, four, five, six, seven times before you get in sometimes. And in North Carolina, we are really blessed because we have three very fine artistic guilds, the Carolina Designer Craftsman Guild, which I joined seven years ago. I was accepted. The Piedmont Craftsman Guild, which is based in Winston-Salem, covers the whole United States and even beyond, I think. And I'm still working to get into that guild and have been invited back to do the show and will be juried at the show in November. So I have my fingers crossed about that. But it's, it's my fourth time, I believe. I lost track. Four or five. I don't know. Well, anyway, that's the, other, that's the other thing. You just have to be persistent. There you <laughs> and go. Yeah. And keep doing it. Yeah. And not take rejection personally. That's the big, big thing because, you know, you can think this is the absolute best work I've done and they don't like it. Well, maybe I'm on the wrong, but you're not. You just haven't, maybe you haven't paid your time and dues. I don't know yet. And then just recently moved to Asheville and, you know, this is, was my first shot at Southern Highlands Craft Guild. And I know people that have done four or five times to get into it. So I went in without a lot of expectation. However, I have to say that the work that I'm doing now is the best work that I've ever done. So I don't think I could have said that along the way previously. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it was was good. But this is really good stuff now. And I have a lady that helps with the stitching. So that is perfect because I got dinged for that early on. So it's persistent. So what does being in an art guild get you? Well, the Southern Highlands Craft Guild has four art galleries that you can put your work in. Mm. Plus it's got a huge reputation. And because its geographical location is specific to the Appalachian chain, uh, you're sort of in a niche market. So for instance, they have a gallery on the parkway, on the North Carolina parkway at Moses Cone in Blowing Rock. And that's well-traveled. They have, gallery in Biltmore Village um, in Asheville, which is another tourist. So they have four galleries. Uh, Piedmont Craftsman has a gallery on the Trade Street in Asheville, and Carolina Designer Craftsman does not have a gallery, and they do one show uh, a year. So indoor shows are easier in some ways than outdoor shows because you don't have the weather to contend with. And um, I remember a show where we set up in the rain. The rain turned to sleep. Oh, and the not good for fabric. And then, oh my goodness! And then the ambulance came because the wind had knocked on another area from where I was standing, knocked a potter's tent over, and the tent fell apart, and the pieces of the tent flew and broke her arm. Oh my God! Oh no! <laughs> I have been in forty mile an hour winds, sleet, snow, and hail, and it is not good for fabric tree. Art is a dangerous craft, guys. They think we're softies, but the stuff is... Nobody, nobody tells you that. And also, then I was next to a hamburger cooking tent one time with my silk. Oh, and the smoke and every... Oh, my... On dirt. Oh. 
you know, every show you do is a learning experience. Yeah, definitely. It does provide some interesting stories, I'm sure, along the way, though. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it's fun. It really is fun. It's hard work. People think it's so easy, but you're there at 5 a.m. in the morning. You're setting up with lanterns and headlamps because you can't see putting complicated tents together. So it's challenging. So being in a guild removes you from the need, I think, to be in outdoor shows because if I'm successful in it, get into Piedmont Craftsman, that will give me four indoor shows a year. And that's probably enough with galleries. Another track that artists do, and I have a friend, Mary Edna Frazier, who you should really interview in South Carolina, Charleston. She, um, has had tremendous success. She never called herself a fiber artist, although she paints on silk. She is a batik artist. She uses wax and dyes on silk, and she goes up in an airplane, photographs, and then does these wonderful huge pieces that are then installed, like in the Charleston Airport. Wow. Um, Oh, my goodness. She did in the Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C., in the Smithsonian. She was the featured artist and did a show there. So her focus is galleries, museum shows, and teaching. My focus is indoor shows now and teaching. And to that end, uh, I realized that oh, I have a friend who, who was part of a North Carolina group I was in, and she moved to Florida and opened a fiber art studio, and she's doing very well. And she shared with me that I could paint scarves and make clothing all day long and I would not do as well as I'm doing running this studio. That's very good to know. Very good feedback. Yeah, we have a few people in our community who are working. They're not, not all of them are necessarily craft artists. Some are photographers Mm -hmm. and such, but they're looking at, you know, one of their goals. We have a 100 day creator challenge, both free and paid. And one of several of the people's goals are um, to have a studio space. And so Mm -hmm. it's good to know. And it just gives you that one point and location to show up to and have all set up for your art, but also it's great for marketing and just having that location because you mentioned also before we started recording that another one of your uh, money makers is also having other artists come in and teach classes, which mm-hmm. not only um, uh, introduces the collaborative artist environment for your business, mm-hmm. but also just helps uplift your community um, and people learning, people just coming in and people who have been there. It just brings yeah. the art community together. Like we're doing that online, you're doing that in your location, and that's just awesome. Yeah, so you said that, she said it wasn't make as much money, but you are also starting your own studio for some of those reasons. Yeah. Is that right? Well, what she said is what she indicated is she could paint art all day long and she wouldn't make as much money as she's now doing. She's doing much better having regular what I call real guy rock star artists come into her fiber art studio and teach. She's also teaching in her studio, but in addition, she has real name talent come in and she is mentoring me. And I think that's another person for you all to interview. Her name is Suzanne Connors. She's in Stewart, Florida, and her gallery is called A-Y-A-L-A, I believe, Isla Fiber. Anyway, um, so I am have hosting my first visiting teacher the end of this month. Nice. Her, name, her name is Kurt Grabowski, another very successful artist who has made a living. Uh, part of her stick was she was fiber director of the Peters Valley Craft School in New Jersey, and that's real near New York. So she had contacts 
in New York City, and she sold her art in New York City, as well as she was director of a school. Can we take a break just? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Looking at ways, how can I market my art? Uh, and you're right, Leora. Uh, I have no zip business sense. I can't tell you what a piece of scarf or a coat actually costs in real time. I don't even try to figure that out. I know that I don't make much per hour. That's not my point in doing it. I, my point has always been I need to make enough to break even and forward, you know, be able to keep growing. And I have been able to do that. And now I'm actually making a little money, which is a nice thing to know. Um, my husband, who was my backer, you know, dropped dead suddenly and died. So I was on my own two and a half years ago. So the studio idea was my main focus when I moved to Asheville. Now there's lots of studios here, teaching studios, and one in particular, And but I don't see myself being in competition because there's so many different techniques. And right. yeah. bringing people to the area it can only help all of us. So um, that's yeah. a little. So, and, sorry, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Um, well, and just, uh, no matter, even if somebody is doing a similar thing or even just remotely close to the way you create art, it's always a different perspective. You have your own story behind your art. You have your own whatever you're trying to create and um, show. It's always going to come from a different perspective for each person. So it just, like you said, it just helps your whole community. It really does. And uh, so when I bought my house, I really didn't buy it for the house I bought it for the lighted basement that <laughs> overlooks the mountains. It has five huge windows and a sliding door mm. and fiber art needs water. So I have a three bin commercial sink like you would have in a restaurant. Nice. I have pot plates and, you know, induction plates to heat. I have outdoor hanging space if we need to hang things out to dry. And I have room for 10 to 12 students. Nice. Amazing. Awesome. So yeah. what, can you, what can you share, Joanna, that is not too private uh, relative to how much you can cost, charge, rather, how much the classes cost, how much it costs you to pay the instructor, et cetera? Anything about that that you can share would be helpful. I can just share the little formula that Suzanne Connor shared with me. Right. She said she bases her class fees on what would it take, what does the instructor charge for per day, and then multiply it three, four, five days, whatever you're doing, what does she charge for travel, and of course, Suzanne's set up down there is she has to actually um, broker with a hotel to put the person up, and then there's food, so having my basement be my fiber vision studio, I have two guest rooms, I have a kitchen, so I can provide the food and the room and, room and board. So that's a cost that I can take off my table. Mm. So that just means that the workshop cost is less for the participants, which is a good thing. So you figure all of that out and you um, get the total and then you divide by six. That's what it takes to have the class, six paying people. And that is what you charge. Okay. And then on top of that, if the instructor has material, then that's the materials fee that the instructor charges. So the fees come to me, I pay the instructor, and then anything above six is profit. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Uh, anything above six. Okay, so wait a minute. Anything above six people. Okay, um, six people. Mm -hmm. so six people is like the baseline it. that okay. you need to break even. To break even. Yeah. So you, 
you figure your baseline, you know, first of all, how many people can you get in your space? How many people are your, is your teachers, are your teachers willing to teach? And 10 to 12 is maximum usually for uh, a teacher to feel comfortable really giving enough one-on-one. Right. It's not mm-hmm. like a lecture, it's a hands-on doing kind of thing. So you mentioned, yeah, is the most I can get in my studio. Right. So you mentioned staying overnight, say, I was thinking more day uh, workshops. So mm-hmm. are there also day workshops? And then if you have the elong- elongated ones, how long are they typically? Well, I taught, I taught my first studio class here last Saturday and I had three students. Um, <clears throat> and because it's me, I didn't have to worry about the six. And my, my, my main focus is, is it has taken me a full year to build the studio. Mm-hmm. So I moved in August 1st on September August 1st, 2016, on September 2nd, 2017, I taught my first class. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm also doing a lot of other things. So it's all a balancing act. So okay. I, have a, I have several hats I wear. I am a, a volunteer with Silk Painters International, and I'm planning their festival, and that's volunteer. I do get my way paid to the festival and my room and board, and I don't have to register, so that's lovely. And then I also, I'm on the board of Local Cloth, which is a local fiber group here. So those are my two volunteer aspects. And then I have a part-time position with another organization that puts on a conference. And my main role is to help them do that. And that is a paid position. So, um, and that remains to be seen how I balance all of that out. That's that's the experiment for 2017. Well, that that actually leads really well into another question that we definitely want to touch on is just sort of with all of that going on and really everybody who jumps in or dives into a creative process generally has like so much in life going on, whether it's family obligations, uh, a job, part-time jobs, whatever it is, volunteer work, kids. Yeah. Um, What do you do daily? What is your ritual or your habit daily to either create something every day or cultivate the space and mindset to create every day? Well, when I, um, when I moved here, it, that was a two-year process. I mean, I moved in August 2016, but I made the decision the year before. And it was a real transition in my life. And it was emotional transition. I just lost my husband and a lot of other personal stuff. So I discovered the book Artist Way. Ah, yeah. I love it because she hits on everything. And there's a chapter every week. And you answer the questions. And then you do morning pages. So I am now a journaler. Every day I journal. And in that journal, I not only speak to how I'm feeling emotionally and mentally, but I speak to what is it that I'm going to accomplish that day. So it's like everything. Everybody tells you make your list before you go to bed, and then it's it's just a matter of organization. It's really true. But the artist way is an inspiration for people who really want to be creative. Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic, is another one that I really used. And then there's a third one, Tasha T-O-S-H-A, Silver, wrote a book called Outrageous Openness. Hmm. And that's a more metaphysical, spiritual approach to um, just asking. You know, there's all these spiritual resources that we don't draw on. So it's a combination. It's an eclectic thing that I do. Uh, I write where I am. I write where I'd like to go. And then I make actual goals. And everything is in those books. So, and I just went back and looked at a few of them and oh my goodness, 
I really, really did ask questions and wait and got answers. And that's Tasha's. Mm. You just ask the question and then you pay attention. She says, follow the breadcrumbs. Mm. And that's really what it is because the universe does give you indicators. And when I bought this house, I came out here, was going back home where I lived and I came out here and to tell them that I couldn't buy the house that we would talked about because it was too big and we were going to convert the attic and it was going to be a construction loan. And I don't know if you know about that. I didn't, but I learned that they're extremely expensive and you don't want to do that. So I said, I just can't do it. I need a house with a basement. Said, oh my goodness, we're just building a house with a basement. Hmm. So, I mean, that's what I mean. You just follow the yeah. breadcrumbs. And you right. ask questions. You right. know, that's such an important point, what you mentioned before about uh, writing down where you are and where you want to be and then each day checking in with like what happened and asking those questions whether it's to yourself or to other people like hey I can't really do this um, this house because it doesn't fit and what I need is a basement and they're like oh well here we go we have this thing that we're building and you might want it you might want it and mm -hmm. and what's important about that is a lot of creatives they get a little bit bogged down um, with the I'm stuck where I am now and I'm not that person that I see myself maybe being or the person I'm comparing myself to. There's a lot of comparison in art where it's like, and I think it's everywhere in life, but especially for artists, we're like, oh my gosh, that person has it all and they have it figured out and, you know, all that stuff. And so uh, I think that's such an important practice for anybody listening who is stuck in that spot of uh, I'm not moving forward is just sit down and... Um, every day visualize yourself in where you want to be even a month from now if you can't if if looking a full year ahead is too much for you just figure out one month from now where do i want to be or just next week to make next week happen absolutely mm -hmm. and yeah. it is and then doing the same thing every day mm -hmm. so consistency and persistence persistence you know the saying uh, persistence wears down resistance um, so mm -hmm. wears down resistance to the writer's block to the creator's block whatever it may be uh, and it gets the work done you know one brick at a time builds the foundation mm -hmm. upon which the rest of our dreams can follow Absolutely. So, and, and your network becomes all important yes. you know, every time you meet a person that person comes into your life for a reason and my experience has been just like when I first started and I was in a woman's tent in Blowing Rock, and I said, this is something I've been wanting to do my whole life. Do you think this is good enough to do? You know, is my scarf good enough? And, and so not being afraid to ask for feedback, not being afraid to ask for help. Yes. Uh, and there's lots of things out here that, that are like your group, and there's something called Creative Mornings that is an interesting thing that I've just learned about. But I think you also think ask me what do you do you do something in your studio or something with your art every day yes and, uh, when i'm stuck this is what i do this is uh, zentangle yeah zentangle is a mindfulness drawing thing and I, even if i don't finish i just put something on that's inspiring and then i sit there and do do this kind of stuff and yeah. by the time huh by the time I've, I'm, I'm working on these, can you see? Yes. Um, it gets my juices going, and I can say, oh, I can take that design and put it down on a scarf. And, yeah. and 
Fantastic. Speaking of it's which, it's like morning pages. Yeah. Sorry, before you. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. like morning pages, but for um, visual art. Yeah. Excellent. So exactly. speaking of that, you can take that design. Do you have something you wanted to show us? We're going to include some photos. So let me back up for just a minute. Housekeeping stuff. So <clears throat> the people's names that you've been mentioning and the books you're mentioning, we will put those in the show notes when the uh, interview publishes. And we'll make sure we get those names from you. Maybe you can send us an email afterwards with those names. That would be very helpful. Um, and we will also include some of your incredible uh, fabric um, creations. Do you have any you'd like to share and show before we go? Well, I have to pause. I was going to share two other books that are of the silk painting venue. Oh, yeah. No, go ahead. Yeah. Can you raise um, it up a little bit? Yeah, I will. Um, these came along after Jill Kennedy. Um, nice. This mm. is like the Bible of silk painting. Susan okay. Louise Moyer, she has two. Uh, silk painting, The Artist's Guide to Gouda and Wax Resist. And then this is the second one, which is Still, I can't read it backwards. So for fashion and fine art. Yeah. And she is no longer teaching. And so these books are like gold because she's no longer teaching. She's creating work for herself, but she is probably my age now and no longer teaching because some people do retire. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> keep going. Yeah. That's, what <laughs> that's what we were planning on doing. Yeah, that's what I will do until I drop. Uh, so, but I don't have anything right here, Leora, but if you stop a minute, I can run and get a couple things. Okay, will do. All right. So to give you an idea of what's possible, this is a silk chiffon, and this is the tunic, which you can't really see, but you can get an idea of how the colors flow into one another. Yeah, mm -hmm. gorgeous. And then this is an interesting fabric in that it's silk, but it's machine washable and dryable. Oh, oh nice. Very colorful. It's a batik process. The one I just showed you was a watercolor process. So there are all these different techniques. This is a batik process, and this is a, a tunic. It's beautiful. By the colors and the depth of color that you can get. Yeah. And then this last piece, and that will be it, is a different fabric for me, and it's a kimono, and it's just lovely and feels yeah. young and yeah. it's nice and it's all silk and it all what people don't get is that this is not silk but this is how it starts white wow <laughs> and so and those colors are all painted on with a brush right wow. so one of the things that artists struggle with is the um sort of like the knockoff cheap things from china so to speak um yeah. so what are you seeing in the artist community those who are creating authentic work like that from the scratch, you know, that there's just, it, there's nothing like that artistry. That's truly the craftsman, you know, approach. So what are you seeing in the communities about who your customers are and, and the need for that kind of thing? Well, there are the little tiny boutique shops used to be the way people like myself used to sell. Those places in New York city are closing. Mm -hmm. uh, so that venue is going. Um, so your craft schools, your guilds, uh, high-end shows, and there are several on the East Coast and a number on the West Coast. You have to do your research, and there are, um, there are resources for that, and I could give them to you, Lior, and you could upload them. Mm -hmm. But you have to jury in. For instance, the Smithsonian has the most beautiful craft show every year in April. Mm. Um, the Philadelphia Art Museum has theirs in November. Those are like the high end on this coast. 
the American Council, Craft Council, ACC show in San Francisco is high end and you could sell these kind of items for two, three, four hundred dollars there. But you can't do it at outdoor shows. Mm-hmm. Right. And you have to be very selective about the indoor shows you do. Right. Uh, I lost my shirt one time going to Richmond, Virginia and paying for a room and board and um, three nights and didn't even make enough for my, my fee, entrance fee. Yeah. So obviously we didn't do that show again. Right, right. So you have to look at what, and the best way to do it, I found the best way to do it is you go to the show yourself and you case it out. Mm-hmm. Just like buy magazines, you yeah. go and you case <laughs> out your, your client and see what people are paying. Yeah. Uh, but it's very hard to get it what it's worth. Yesterday I had a, a, a She's an artist too, but she uh, makes her own patterns and she creates her own patterns and then she sews courtier kinds of uh, garments and they're vintage and they're gorgeous. And I would have to, and I'd love to work with her and I may still, but by the time I pay her sewing fees and the patterning fees, the item would have to be four to $500 wow. to make any profit. So you have to make decisions about who is your client you know, uh, and I have friends that do make a living as full-time artists, but they've been at it like 30 years. Yeah. So I'm really a newbie at 11 years. Right. And I'm thrilled that I've had the amount of success I have had. But I also think personally in my personal life, I've done a lot of personal growth things yeah. that kept me from many pitfalls. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. definitely. Um, a good point that you made about the shows and researching the shows, we interviewed another artist who's a fantasy painting artist, uh, and she does canvas, but she also mentioned the same thing. So if you're um, looking to get into a show, whether it's via a guild or a gallery or some high end, or even, you know, even if it's not a high end show, definitely, um, research the market that's there, go as a participant, see also see um the setups of other artists who are obviously selling a lot and even some that maybe seem like they're not selling so much and see sort of the points where you could come in and kind of blend and not do what doesn't seem to be working do what is working and yeah that's a good point about going to those physical places i mean with i create daily we talk a lot about the um online um aspect of selling and getting your work out there and it's it's really the same strategy of re- doing that research and figuring out like who is your buyer whether it's mm-hmm. online or off yeah do you and i haven't done very well with the social media online things you know i just am just started in instagram i just did pin her pinterest and i don't use facebook as well as i could um it just you know i it's not a skill i have so i have to spend a lot of time figuring it out so i haven't done that another venue that we haven't talked about which i'm eager to do more with is to find those juried art shows that are in museums and are in galleries and in the back of magazines you can find them there's sources for those as well and same thing apply 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 and how to photograph your work and silk is really hard to photograph you can't do it with your iphone you Mm -hmm. can't do it in your house it requires a model it requires someone with that special equipment so uh, i tried etsy and etsy didn't work for me and yet it works for other people so um, you just have to find your little niche right yeah yeah, I think uh, I think Etsy is probably not as high end. 
So you know, that's probably why it's not your market. But I think online you have an opportunity. It would be interesting to explore it, and we could certainly help you, Devani. That's her specialty. Um, relative, one of the benefits on Facebook is that you can really target an ad to your ideal audience, your ideal customer, um, and that for very inexpensively, very inexpensively. It's increasing, and it's going to be increasing every year as Facebook gets more and more big corporations moving their advertising dollars away from the television and radio that's just dumped into basically the trash because everyone's fast forwarding through commercial commercials to Facebook because the other thing we can do there is again micro target so you can ide identify your ideal customer avatar for instance the kind of person that tends to buy most of your things and select that it's worth a try relative to the online thing so can people buy your products online right now uh, the only way they can do it is to go to my website and contact me and then we can arrange for an appointment or I can send them like I sent to you a collection that's been photographed. Okay. Uh, and the other thing with my work is it's, there's only one. Right. So it's photographed and it's sold. That's it. And right. I cannot, I cannot get in a person's head. This was also a learning that I should pass on. One day, a lady asked me, can you please paint me a scarf just in light pastels, blue, lavender, you know, pale green, blah, blah, blah. I said, oh, sure, that's fairly easy, not, not difficult colors. I painted her four scarves, and she liked none of them. Aww. So interesting, you know. Yeah. So that was the morning. And in talking to other artists that do one-of-a-kind work, they say that kind of commission is not feasible because you cannot get in someone's head. Right, very hard. It's not taking it something in or it's not printing it, you know, kind of thing. And, and that yeah. was the other thing I explored. What would it take to print nice silk? And there was two places in North Carolina that were doing it. And both of them were really expensive and, and they're printed. So that means as opposed to the, these things being this color and on the inside, it's the same color. Right. Mm -hmm. The fabric is right on the outside and on the inside. Ah, so, uh, so that's something to look for when you're buying something that says silk. Well, yeah, yeah it may be silk, but it still can be printed and it's not the same mm -hmm. as hand painted. So, yeah. right. Anyway, it, yeah. There's lots of venues I haven't explored. I just only have been doing it 11 years. So, right. Absolutely. So, yeah. you know, that's the wonderful thing. And I think. Like you said that you're going to be creating, basically, you're not going to retire and we don't plan to because it's sort of like, how can creators stop creating? You know, how yeah. could we? And so, and we've talked about this before as well. And it's like, you know, okay, at 71, you know, what are you going to do with the next 30 amazing years that you mm -hmm. have? Um, and what will you create? And it's easy to imagine that even a year from now, when we catch up with you, hopefully, mm -hmm. uh, you will be that much further along and just keep on going, creating every day. Mm-hmm. Yep, I hope to. <laughs> yeah. Well, this has been this has been wonderful, Joanna. You've been it's been great hearing your story, um, uh, and and the, you know the things that are hard and the things that work. I'm sure that will help people as well. Yeah. Um, and you're just doing beautiful work, and we look forward to seeing your, how your journey unfolds. Okay, thank you very much, ladies. Have thank a good you. day. You good too. Thanks so much for joining us for the I Create Daily podcast. Please let us know what creatives you would like us to interview and what topics you would be interested in hearing more about. And if you enjoyed this show, please leave a review on iTunes. We value your feedback. We read all the reviews and it just helps us get the word out on the I Create Daily podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks so much.